0: Some bartenders will say, I cannot believe you made a Negroni like that. You know, they're deeply offended by it. And I go, well, yeah, I know, but to me, it tastes better. Do
1: you shake it as well or do you stir it? I can't remember. No, I shake it. The reason I find it interesting that you're shaking and serving straight up, because that's normally a bit of a cardinal sit.
0: I didn't know I was breaking a rule, so I'm glad.
1: Welcome to the Diageo Bar Academy podcast, Bar Chat. This is your host, Tristan Stevenson. Today I'm speaking with Stanley Tucci. Stanley is an Academy Award nominated and Golden Globe winning actor, filmmaker, style icon, and more recently, food and drink broadcaster, as seen in the Emmy Award winning show, Stanley Tucci, Searching for Italy. He is also the author of Taste, My Life Through Food. On this episode, we discuss Stanley's experiences with food and drink on and off the camera, the movie Big Night that he wrote and directed back in the 90s, in which he plays a struggling restaurateur. You should definitely check it out. The rules, rituals, and etiquette of food and drink, including such things as whether a Negroni can be shaken and served straight up. And the philosophy of hospitality and good service. Needless to say, it was a great privilege to have Stanley on the podcast. I enjoyed our conversation a great deal, and I hope you like it too. Okay, I am here with Stanley Tucci. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Stanley.
0: <laughs> Thank you for having me.
1: As is customary, we're gonna start with some quick fire questions just to break the ice a little bit. Um, are you ready for your quick fires? Very ready. Question number one, dry martini. Do you put an olive or a twist in? Twist. You're only allowed one herb for the rest of your life, or herb, maybe I should say, one herb for the rest of your life. Which one is it?
0: Basil. Or basil.
1: Mm, ah, I like the way you did the British pronunciation there. That was good. Um, Name a famous person who has served you a really great
0: drink in the past. A famous person? Alan Rickman. Good answer.
1: Uh, What drink is your guilty pleasure?
0: A scotch sour.
1: Nothing wrong with that. London or New York? London. What movie are you most proud of? Supernova. Name an underrated ingredient. Nutmeg. Oh, that's always my answer to that question. It's a great ingredient. Well, yeah, brilliant. Is it? <laughs> I love nutmeg. Um, final one, margarita pizza or margarita
0: cocktail? Oh, margarita pizza. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, nutmeg, though. Yeah. Wow. It's, uh, it's such an underrated ingredient, and I use it so much in savoury cooking. Um, where, and whenever I do, people are always very surprised. It's like, surely you just dust this on um, eggnog, right? Or, or, I don't know, put it in you know, certain desserts. Yeah. But it's just such a great aromatic ingredient with meat, I think.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because you can use it, I mean, just for like when you put it in um, like a bechamel or something like that. Like it's just great, you know.
1: Mm. Yeah, it makes a huge yeah, yeah, difference, yeah. yeah. So um, it's wonderful to have you on. Great to, great to meet you. Um, I was uh, obviously aware of you, did a little bit of research, and I realized that we have two things in common. Yeah. Um, one is that we both trained to be actors, um, which mm-hmm. you had far more success in than me, obviously. Uh, and the other is that um, we have both, or both ha- are, or have been um, gin ambassadors for Tanqueray.
0: Because
1: ah. uh, you are working with Tanqueray now, as I understand it. Um, so I'm interested to know how that is going for you, how the transition from uh, thespian to gin ambassador is is. Uh, is yeah, doing.
0: it's interesting. I've never done anything like it before, but I really, I really like it, obviously, I love making cocktails, and I've always been fascinated by them as when I worked as a bartender many, many years ago and since then I've always been interested in them um, and when they approached me i was I was thrilled first of all, you know it's really good gin I mean if it weren't good gin i wouldn't I wouldn't do it um, it's it's actually a quite a beautiful gin and different than a lot of them um, but it's been great. The people at Diageo have been great. It's really fun to do the events. I'm gonna go do one tonight with Ago, who's uh who's like an incredible bartender here at the at the Kong Hotel. So it's I f- it's a real privilege. I, I love doing it.
1: Yeah, Ago's a friend of mine actually, and he's been on this podcast before too. Um and I do remember seeing you in a video with him making some martinis around about a year or two ago, maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was kept sort of messing up, um, and because you can't, because he's so, you know, he's so good at it. You know, it's almost embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, I can make a good cocktail, but not, you know, like that with those flourishes. It's like watching a, a ballet. You so you were the you were an ambassador for them too.
1: I was, although a slightly different type of ambassador to you. Um, I guess I was. Well, I spent most of my days driving around uh, and go, heading into bars and doing training. Um, uh, exercises with the bartenders, teaching them about the history of gin, about the history of Tanqueray, and uh, then making cocktails, oh, showing cool. them how to, the sort of basics like the Negronis and the Martinis and all that kind of thing. Um, but as you say, it is a it's a fantastic brand, because and it's it's one of the ones that's got sort of real authenticity to it. Obviously, it's much older than a lot of the gin brands we're seeing now that are you know mm. so much of the market is is saturated with new newer products. And the likes of Tanqueray and a few others are really these sort of bastions of gin. I think that um, you know they they just follow a kind of classic formula in their in their makeup. You know juniper forward, and because of that, they just work really really well in all of those cocktails. They're super dynamic products that mix really well. I think.
0: Yeah. No, I really I really love it. And I had one the other day. Where was I? It was just it's just just delicious because it's so. There's something really refreshing about it too, do you know what I mean? It, it's, because it has a lot of that citrusy stuff, and so you're getting the juniper, but you're getting all that, and I like all that stuff. I don't like fruity things, but it has the right amount of yeah. citrus. You know what I mean? It's nice.
1: Yeah, interestingly as well, because it's not got citrus in it, is it? It is a is it? Citru- it is a citrusy gin. I think it all comes from the coriander seed. That they put in there and you know how coriander seed has got that kind of lemony note to it sometimes i mean sometimes yeah. it's kind of gingery and sometimes it's lemony and yeah. that's amazingly where that citrus note in tancre comes from it, it's kind of mind-blowing that they use spices to achieve that
0: yeah i actually hate coriander but so it's it, in in this form it works yeah
1: yeah yeah it's good so you mentioned you you were a bartender at one point you've i mean i guess all all actors have gone through the bar at some point right
0: yeah I was in college at the time, so this is 1970, let me think, 78, 79, maybe. Uh, And you could be a bar, I was like 19 years old, so you could be a bartender at that age, at that point, uh, until they changed the drinking age to 21. Um, It it was a great experience. It wasn't a, a bar bar, it was a bar in a restaurant. But you did such a huge um, lunch business, like a huge crush of people would just come in. And so you were making drinks for the, you know, it's a very small bar, uh, maybe about seven seats or something like that. But you, there was so much coming in from the restaurant itself, from the waiters, that you had to be really, really fast and know what you were doing. And people were drinking. They weren't just drinking bottles of wine. You know, they weren't just doing that. It was lots of cocktails. And it was great. I had these two guys who, who trained me, and it was amazing. It really was – I absolutely loved it. I, I love it. I started out as a bar boy, and then I became a bar man. And it was, <laughs> it was really life-changing for me. I never forgot it. And I used – you know, I used a lot of that experience – you know, when I, when, when we wrote, um, uh, big night, which is the first movie I directed, co-directed when I was writing it, starting to write it, 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 um, you know, that, that, that experience of being in a restaurant and watching all the waiters, everybody had a different accent, everybody spoke a different language, you know, and the, the sort of incredible, uh, energy in, in that place and the backstage, you know, as the kitchen and the onstage is the dining room and, you know, it, it was so much like the theater, but also I there was something about it that I, I just thought I have to somehow integrate this, incorporate this into a into a story. And it ended up, you know, being part of Big Night. In a way. Mm,
1: I, well, I've I've seen Big Night and um, it's a great film. And I think it very much shows that you've worked in hospitality in the execution of the performances and the staging of it and everything, because it feels. Almost spookily similar to some places that I've worked at in the past, where you've got this tension between the yeah. kitchen and front of house, and uh, you know all, all the all the kind of strange relationships that go on in a in a restaurant setting. And you look you look like a working bartender, but then I guess you had been, so that makes sense.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I'm a father of five children, so I'm basically a cook and a waiter. <laughs>
1: yeah. Professional cook and waiter as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. my favourite bit in that film, actually, I think is probably the making of the Timpano, um, which for might, it might be worth you explaining exactly what that is, because even I'm still not entirely sure what it is, but it's just beautifully shot. It reminds me a little bit of, um, what's that Netflix TV series, um, with where well, they go to the different kitchens and they've got all the beautiful photography. Uh, the chef's table. That's it, chef's table. Yeah, yeah, and always beautifully shot. And you have this like top-down shot of this timpano being put together, which we will get to explaining exactly what that is in a second yeah. for probably a lot of the audience who don't know. Um, and it's just it's so so beautifully done. And this is like how old's that film? Twenty-five years? Thirty? Thirty years?
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe more. Twenty-seven years, something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so so uh, yeah.
1: What, what is a timpano? <laughs>
0: Well, timpano, timpano takes many forms, right? In fact, two days ago on Saturday Kitchen, um, they were making uh, what 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 is called a timbalo. Okay, so my family called it timpano or timpano, which would be the correct pronunciation of it. Although we called it timpano for some reason, and but it really is a timbalo, and a timbalo, you know, can be made with. It's basically you're t- you're taking um, uh, uh, some kind of like a what do I want to say? You can do it in like a pot, like a like a Dutch oven, but really what you normally use is a um, like an enamel basin, and you okay, and so you're going to line that basin with either some kind of dough, which is what ours is. It's almost almost like a between a pizza dough and a pasta dough. Or you can line it with something like um, uh, eggplant or, you know, um, what do you call it, aubergine. So cooked aubergine. And then that is filled with whatever you want to fill it with. So there are many different recipes. In Sicily, there's a recipe where it's eggplant and inside is very fine angel hair pasta and a very delicate meat sauce and maybe some peas or something like that. And then it's all wrapped up and baked. Um, ours consisted of, it was, a, it's, it's, we usually made them quite large because they would feed a lot of people. And it was this dough that you'd make and you'd, you know, layer the, not layer, but you'd lay it into the, into the basin. And then you filled that basin with a, with a slow cooked meat based sauce and ziti and hard boiled eggs and salami and Provolone cheese and meatballs and egg yolk and Parmigiano and Romano cheeses. And then you wrapped it all up and you stuck it in the oven, and one never knows what's going to happen. It either works (laughs) or it doesn't work. And then you cut it, you know, then you flip it over. And then you cut it like a cake.
1: And so, and so you've kind of—it's like a pie with a well in your your particular form—a pie with like a bread crust rather than a pastry crust. And then anything and everything kind of goes into it.
0: Yeah, it is almost—it is sort of like a yeah. It's not a—it's not like a a short crust or anything like that. No, 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 it's a dough. It's a dough. Yeah. When when is
1: it normally eaten? Is it there a specific occasion, event, or is it just when you've got a lot of people to feed?
0: Well, we always had it on Christmas Day, um, which which yeah. is which is hard because it's a lot of work. So you have to make it the day before, or a couple of days before. And sometimes my parents would make them and freeze them. But it screws up the timing of any other thing that you're making. So we would have it as a first course, which is insane because it's so heavy. And I find it delicious. A lot of people don't like it. Um, it's heavy, it's salty, but it's so good. But that was our first course it made no sense. And then we would have some huge piece of meat <laughs> something and all this other stuff. Um, but it was, it, that. But, but you would do it on a special occasion. Usually you do it in the winter, but my, my father's family, they used to make them take it on a picnic. I, I don't know how that happened, but you know, you wouldn't need, you wouldn't need like a camel to carry the thing into the <laughs>
1: Amazing. What's that? Because it sounds like there's so much preparatory work to it. You might as well make a big one, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Don't make a small one. There's no point in making a small one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like lasagna, you know, lasagna can be so difficult, right? Just make two. So
1: what do you what do you drink with it? If it's Christmas Day, then presumably it's wine, right? Is that the kind of general pairing of of alcohol?
0: Without question. Yeah. 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 You want a big red
1: yeah something big to handle all the meat i mean do you think it's historically that it was kind of like you had you put in whatever you had to hand and then the recipe has been adapted to like well you just put everything in there like there's cocktails like that like a zombie for example where it was sort of like one of the one of the tiki drinks where it's, it, it's i mean there there is there is some sort of original recipes for it but effectively it was like let's just try and put a little bit of everything in there um and then that's what bartenders now do so it, it leaves a fair amount of kind of artistic interpretation or poetry poetic license to sort of just do it the way you want to do it
0: yeah i think that's the way a lot of recipes you know have been created if you think about also you know these were things that that you could everything was like you say was encased in one thing right and and that way you could take it with you someplace and but that's very common like Empanadas, or the Cornish pasty. The Cornish pasty was originally, yeah. right, half and half, half savory, half sweet. And the reason yeah. it has a thick edging, you know, the thick edge around it, is because that's what you would that you would hold your hands because your hands were dirty. Because it was for coal miners, if I'm not, or or not coal, but tin yeah. miners, whatever, you know
1: you've stumbled across my own heritage i'm a cornish boy oh, you are. so i've been have grown up on uh, yeah i'm not in cornwall right now but normally and um pasties uh yeah that's my my thing like, <laughs> i don't I'm eat much. too many of them they're not they're not the uh, healthiest things they're quite indulgent
0: i know they are but i'll tell you when they're made well it's probably one of the greatest things ever oh. i remember the first time i had one this is about 11 years ago, my wife and I were dating and we went down to Foy, where we love Cornwall, like, I'm completely in love with Cornwall. And it, we went down to Foy and we went to this little shop on the corner and I said, well, what are those? She goes, well, those are Cornish pasties. I was like, oh, "I'm try one of those. I, I, I could, like, literally couldn't stop talking about it. And then when we took the train home the next day, I got one for the for the train ride.
1: Yeah. That's wise. I, I, have, I have friends that pick up like a dozen of them frozen to take back and then you can keep them in the freezer and they actually bake all right from frozen as long as you do it the right way. Do They really do they? Yeah, yeah. And they're certainly yeah. better than the kind of pasties you would get in London. If you ever decide to do a, um, a TV series like Stanley Tucci on Cornwall, let me know. And I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll show you around the top. You no,
0: know, this is the plan that I want to do a few more of Italy But then the next thing we've already have a a lot of so much research done already. I want to do um, the British Isles because um, for reasons like the Cornish pasty, because that is a really interesting thing to me, you know, and British food is really amazing right now. I mean, the food in London is just some of the best food in the world and it's so varied, but also, you know, What you have, I mean, you're this island, you have all this incredible seafood, right? You have amazing uh, meat, you have amazing veg, and I I just think, also not to mention the fact that it's just one of the most beautiful countries in the world, Um, and the influences because of what was the empire are really profound in, in the food, you know, in the realm of food. Yeah, So that's the plan. So I'll, call, I'll let you know when we do cornwall.
1: Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, I'll uh, tour you around the pasty places. There's some secret spots where you, you can't get them anywhere else for, other than the bakery, and they're, they're pretty good. Yeah, I got it. But um, you're, you're right about the British Isles. We do, we're sometimes like the butt of jokes. Uh, the, you know, people assume that we basically just pour gravy on things and eat like mashed potato and stuff like that. But the, 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 the fact of the matter is that we're a bit of a melting pot of different cultures and food and drink as well. I mean, you know, we have, we have, um, you know, a history of rum, we have a history of gin, we have a history with whiskey. Um, So, you're kind of ticking off most of the best spirit categories there, really, um, that are sort of inextricably intertwined with our history, for better or for worse. So, you know, we have got a lot to chat about over here, I think. And uh, like you say, It's London's like incredible now for food and for drink. I mean, it really, there's a lot of cities catching up um, around Europe and around the rest of the world. Um, But for cocktails as well, we are, I think we're still probably just about leading the way, which is great.
0: Oh, Without question, without question, the number of, of amazing bars in London alone is, it's like, it's staggering. You know to the dis from the design of them to the to the you know the expertise of the bartenders to the the variety of liquors like insane i mean who doesn't have a gin yeah nowadays yeah. you know
1: speaking of amazing bars um your your kitchen turned into an amazing bar uh during lockdown i believe uh, certainly the first time you came onto my radar was not the first time you came onto my radar the first time you came onto my radar as a drink person was um, during lockdown, and you started making cocktails in your kitchen. Um, how did, I mean, how did that come about exactly? Boredom and a desire for a drink, I expect. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. My wife said to me, she's a literary agent at Curtis Brown Agency, and, and, and I am a client of Curtis Brown's. And she said, look, everybody's you know going crazy. Obviously, the offices are closed and everything. She said, Don't, would you, let's do a thing that's just an in house video. It'll just go out to the people in the agency. Why don't you make a cocktail to cheer everybody up? And I was like, Yeah, all right, sure. She said, I said, Well, what should I make? Should I make, she goes, Make a Negroni. That's cheery. So I made a Negroni, but I made the Negroni up as opposed to On the Rocks, because I like them, up, frankly. And I made it, sent it out, everybody was really happy. And then she said, well, put it on your Instagram. And so she showed me how to do that. And then I did it. And then it blew up, <laughs> It went crazy. Like it went completely crazy. And then people started tweeting about it. My friend Chris Evans tweeted about it. Not Chris Evans, the yeah. but Chris Evans, the actor tweeted about it and he was like yes we used to have martinis all the time together when we worked together and blah 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 people went crazy and then it part of that is what led to me working with with
1: well i think it's great i i I do think sometimes our industry can be a little bit like insular we have great bartenders doing amazing things and, and the same goes for food and chefs as well and you know we have our own celebrities within that kind of within the industry but sometimes it's yeah. great to have someone external to that almost validate what is going on in restaurants and in bars and to say look you know these, these, there's some really cool stuff here and it's something that everyone ought to appreciate um not just something for kind of food geeks or you know weirdos or whatever so yeah it's it, we're very happy to have you on board
0: oh i'm really glad because to me you, yeah because you do want to shine a light on it because you know, people don't, I mean, it's incredibly hard work working in a restaurant. And and to become, a, you know, a great bartender is a real, it's a real challenge. It's a huge amount of, of effort and time. Um, but when you become that, you know, when you reach that point, it's it's just like the most wonderful thing. And it's wonderful for people. Like, I was at a, I read to this press junket yesterday and for a, this movie I have coming out and we went down, we finished everything and we were going to introduce the screening and it went down. We were going to have a drink and the place was packed. It was a very, it's a very nice hotel that I'm not going to name. I stood at the bar for close to 10 minutes. There were a number of bartenders behind there. One of them, Two of them were really doing this sort of mixing one guy in particular now. They were packed mind you okay But I stood there for ten minutes But not a single person Came up to me and said I'm so sorry. We're so busy Give us five minutes and whatever. Let me know what you want. I'll make it as soon as I can or something Nothing. They never made eye contact. They never they, they never they never acknowledged my presence the fact that I'm waiting there for 10 I'm not saying because it's me. Yeah, it's, because I yeah. it's a person standing at the bar waiting for a drink. It's like, I didn't come here just to watch you. I came here to get a drink and no acknowledgement. And I thought, that's awful, especially in a place that charges a lot of money for drinks and that prides itself on being very sort of, you know, hip and, you know, cool and, you know, and I thought, It's terrible. It's bad. It's bad practice. And it's bad management. Yeah, I gotta say it was it was like, weird.
1: Yeah, well, it is weird. And it's good that it's weird, because that means it's uncommon. And it should remain uncommon, and hopefully increasingly uncommon. But it does happen. And it happens to me uh, as well. And you do wonder, like, where are the sort of basic service standards here? Because it's kind of pretty well recognised that actually one of the most important factors of a good night out is the way in which you are greeted when you arrive at the venue. You know, they've done surveys on this stuff before and actually two two of the highest um, factors in, in the enjoyment of a night out are the way you're greeted and the way you're said goodbye to, right? And neither of these things cost much money to implement, they just need a bit of training and a culture amongst the staff in order to make sure it's happening properly. It's not like you need fifty-pound stemware in order for, to no. know to maximize this particular factor. You just need good hosts. Yeah. I mean, yet it, people still slip up on it.
0: No, it's really weird, and I think I think especially since, um, you know, in the last few years, it's been really hard. Knowing a lot of restaurant tours, it's been really hard to get people to. To get, as they say, you can't yeah. get help these days. A lot of people, you know, during the pandemic, that really affected the uh, the the service industry greatly. And and a lot of people just went, this is too hard. I'm not making enough money. I'm just not going to do. It. I'm not going to go back. And they didn't go back. And now, you know, a lot of restaurateurs are saying, you know, look, I have, I can operate at a hundred percent capacity now, but I only, I can only operate at sixty because I don't have the I don't
1: have the staff. I, I know as an operator myself, it's hard to get and to keep staff um, these days. You have to you have to really work at it and get the right sort of community of people in your building and, and try and and try and keep them that way and gender a certain community spirit and culture amongst the team, make make them feel part of the business and re- make them feel well rewarded. All of these things, but you know even if you're unfortunately losing staff um rapidly and new faces coming into the building i you know i do think it's important that we start prioritizing the things that are going to give the best experience for guests and you know hello hey how you doing i'll be with you in a minute just give me one second i'm super Thanks. busy at the moment i hope you don't mind yeah. it's not it's not that difficult
0: it's really simple and in the meantime you know like you just go like you know how when, I love restaurants where people, when people are waiting online because they obviously want to get into the restaurant and it's a lovely, you know, popular place. I love when somebody comes out and just like hands, I saw this the other day, I was walking down the street and the guy came out from the restaurant and just handed people like a glass of wine while they were waiting to get into the restaurant.
1: Oh, nice. And I just
0: thought that's like the lovely. That's the that's way to get people on yeah, your side. That's the loveliest gesture in the world. You're waiting outside it's a little damp, it's a little, but here, take a glass of wine. And then, then you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll wait another 10 minutes. It doesn't matter. I like that.
1: Yeah, no, that is nice. That's a nice touch.
0: It's all that stuff. I remember when my my dad would, you know, somebody came over to the house, like to fix something in the house, like the oil burner broke or whatever. And my dad, the first thing he would always say can, is, "Can I, you know, can I get you anything? Do you buy a cup of coffee or something like that? And then you know they would maybe say yes or maybe no or whatever. When they finished their task, you know you say this is what happened with the oil burner, and this is why. Well. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, okay, good, good to know, good to know. Might have a chat with them and then he'd say, would you would you like a beer or would you like, a, would you, can I give you a glass of wine or anything like that? Like it's just this sort of really beautiful gesture to me that it, you know someone worked hard and. You know, they they they're getting just. A, you're trying to make, but you're not just paying them. Hmm. You're making it slightly more personal.
1: Yeah, I guess it's, it's a nice. it's it's a form of etiquette, isn't it? And it's it's again something that doesn't really cost anything. Maybe a glass of wine or a beer or a cup of coffee, but it enriches the relationship, right? And it creates a much more positive experience than just the sort of cold, hard exchange of goods and services yeah. you know, that some restaurants or bars might be like. you know?
0: Yeah, and I also think it, it it comes from, you know, coming from working-class families. I think that's part of it, too. Coming from a working-class family, like my my, my my father did, my mother, that you, you know what that is. Like, you know how hard that work is. You know that people aren't always treating the person who comes to the house to fix them, whatever. They're not always treating them nicely. And because, you know, your father used to do that, or your uncle or your brother or whatever.
1: Yeah. So do you think think it makes a difference? Do you think it's a, do you see this kind of, um, etiquette as a sort of dying thing? Do you think we're getting less of that now? Is it something that we're losing in, in this sort of modern age? Yeah, I do a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, that's sad. I think, um, I mean, like I say, I'm from Cornwall and I do think you see more of it in smaller communities um, Mm -hmm. where and perhaps, you know, by the nature of them, that they're also working class. But it's uh, it does seem to be more something that you see, you know, you get it in pubs right you know when you go into a mm-hmm. pub and there's kind of the informal chit chat and the exchange and the kind of acknowledgement of each other and the, i know your business and you know mine but in a you know familiar nice right. kind of way rather than i'm prying into you what you're up to and i'm um, kind of spying right. on you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> uh, yeah. but um yeah we we so, so speaking of um I, i'm kind of speaking of etiquette here i'm i'm interested in um I read your book um, *Taste*, which is fantastic, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, and I did it on audiobook, which is even better because uh, <laughs> you narrated it very, very well. Thank you. Um, and I'm, I'm sad that you're not allowed to swear on this podcast because I think you're one of the best swearers. Definitely one of the best American swearers on the planet. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I
0: learned a lot. I learned a lot from the British. Yeah
1: yeah 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 we're we're pretty good at it. certain words we're, we're good um, that's great but but uh, one of the so speaking of etiquette and about one of the, my favorite bits was when you're talking about um uh cutting up spaghetti with a knife and a fork which um my wife does and I no. chastise her for it every single time it is horrible and she just doesn't get it I'm like what are you doing why are you messing about with it you just eat it um, but I'm, I'm interested in this idea that there's sort of certain rituals that... or formalities that we are expected to follow and they have no real kind of rationality to them, it's just the way. Um, and I, I know you must have thought about this a lot and I know in the book you kind of emphasise you don't know why you can't cut spaghetti. And and by the way, to link this to drinks, I might say something like, I don't know why you can't shake an agroni and serve it straight up, which you have done. Uh, but but you do it nevertheless, and it breaks some rules and it creates conversation. And I am just interested in this fine line of etiquette when it's OK to cross it and when it's absolutely no.
0: I know it's it is really interesting because I know I think about that, too, when people say I can't some bartenders will say, I cannot believe you made a Negroni like that. You know, they're deeply offended by it. And I go, well, yeah, I know. But to me, it tastes better. Yeah. Now, I don't think... So that's why, yeah. okay? That's when you can break To the rule, right? The etiquette is when when it tastes better to you.
1: Because it tastes better People to you. People
0: don't cut their pasta because it tastes better. People cut their pasta because they never learned how to twirl it. That's the difference
1: to me. Okay, yeah. That's, that's a good distinction. I like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They, so they've not learned to eat it properly. No. So they yeah. are kind of doing a shortcut. Right. Yeah. Once
0: you eat it properly, you go, oh, I see. Whereas I have mm. had many Negronis on the rocks, and yes, they're great, but there's something better to me about it up. Yeah. And do you
1: and you shake? Do you shake it as well, or do you stir it? I can't remember.
0: Uh, no, I shake it. I shake
1: it. Oh, shake it. Yeah. See, that's that's very interesting. Yeah. Because there's
0: something that happens in there. I don't know what it is. And it's like, I just love it. Also, yeah. I do... A lot of times I do half vodka, half
1: gin. That's okay. That's fine. Um, that's kind of in the
0: style of a Vespa. You know, the <laughs> James Bond one. He does vodka and gin um, to get yes. together. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so funny. I It's funny. I love those Vespas. And I'd, I'd never had one before until a while ago I made one. And I was like, how did I never make this before? That's yeah, great. Delicious. It's a good drink, yeah. Delicious.
1: So w- yeah. With the, the, the reason I find it interesting that you're shaking and serving straight up, because that's normally, that is normally a bit of a cardinal sin. It is kind of the mixological equivalent of, um, of like slicing up spaghetti. Um, because you're, you're mixing together clear <laughs> ingredients and then adding an opacity to them through the introduction of air and ice and whatever else comes with with shaking a cocktail. And obviously, people do this with martinis sometimes, but that's frowned upon too. Um, and so I... I
0: what, the, sh- the shaking of the shaking martini? Shaking of a
1: martini or a negroni because it adds... Cloudiness to a drink that's otherwise got clear. The general rule of thumb, general, generally that most people abide by, most bartenders abide by, is if it's got opaque ingredients in it, like citrus juice, fruit juice, um, anything else that's cloudy, like an egg white or whatever, then it's shaken. And if it's only clear ingredients, it's straight up. Because I guess you want it's uh, not straight up um, stirred, because you will. Want- one, I guess the intention is to preserve the clarity of those ingredients in the finished drink.
0: But 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 a but an is not clear because it has the the.
1: Yeah, but Campari is compar- clear, not cloudy. Right? It's just dark. Yeah. I mean, anyway, I'm I'm nitpicking around it. I'm just uh, yeah. I'm just kind of laying out. Well, I guess it's probably more my my dogma
0: around how <laughs> to mix drinks than maybe anyone else's. See, I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't know that rule because I didn't know I was breaking a rule. So I'm glad.
1: Well it might well have not blown up quite so well if you'd done it in the sort of like yeah. more kind of generally accepted fashion. It's not as um, dramatic. Because when, when I told uh No. When I when I told a couple a few friends that I was interviewing you and I think Pretty much all of them said, "Are you going to ask him about his Negronis?" Those are all bartender people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Um, but you're quite right. I mean, if it's if it's I guess it's a matter of taste. It's a matter of taste. And I'm am still not convinced. Yeah, I'm still not convinced that someone couldn't someone better than me couldn't argue that slicing spaghetti is a matter of their taste as well. I don't want long stringy bits of spaghetti in my mouth. I want shorter bits, please. You know, or something like that. But
0: well, you can do that. But you would then cook. You would. You you wouldn't cut. You wouldn't cut the spaghetti afterwards. You would break the spaghetti up, and I said this in the book. Like there are certain recipes where you break the spaghetti up, uh, yeah, and you cook it broken up, and then you mix it in with lentils or beans or something like that, and yeah. that's totally appropriate. Yeah, reason.
1: You're funny. <laughs> There's something crude maybe on a plate about kind of attacking the spaghetti with a knife, but um, yeah, we've probably spent yeah, too much time on spaghetti. Yeah, I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm sure all of this is going no, to make sorry. the edit. <laughs> it's my yeah. fault entirely. Um, but uh, no. so, so go, going back to what we we're saying about service and, you know, the expectation of a good night and, the, and being looked after well, and then how that balances with the drinks themselves. Where, where do you, I mean? Obviously, in the ideal situation, you want to have the best host, the most fantastic service, and the best cocktail. But normally, it sort of uh, is more one side than the other, or, or perhaps neither of them are very good. Where do you kind of s- see that sort of balance work? And do you think sometimes we can be fooled into thinking things taste great, even though they don't, simply because the setting, the company, and the service is so good?
0: Yes yeah I do hmm. I do well we or not that we're fooled into it. it's that we, well, I suppose we fool ourselves, right? So we want to believe that it's good because we're here in this place, we've been told it's good. Um, we're spending a lot of money, blah blah blah. everything is so sort of specific and but once you do once you have that experience once, and then you leave later and you go. Actually, that wasn't that good. the next time you go into a thing like that you won't you won't fool yourself again and and frankly i don't I really shy away from that this kind of fussiness and you know we're going to create this whole environment for you and this whole kind of thing and each you know there are seventeen different dishes, and each one is this tiny little yeah. I mean, after a while, I'm like, you know, how many? And I think I wrote this in the book too. How many times have I walked into a Michelin starred restaurant, and you know, you're there for like three hours, and you walk out, and you're like, I have to go home and eat because I'm starving. Yeah. Because I didn't even know what I, I didn't even know what I ate, and there was so little.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: They spent more time talking about it than it took me to eat it. Yeah. And I hate that. I really hate that. Unless you're doing something like Heston does a whole experience thing and everything. And it's so like insane that you go, this is great, you know. And it's great. Um, But other times, you're just like, it's pretentious. It's like it's food. Cook it. Put it on the plate give it to the person, let them eat it, let them go home.
1: I think that's like where uh, the the opposite end of the balance in a way, where oftentimes like when I've done big tasting menus at fancy restaurants, the food is really interesting. Uh, Sometimes exceptional tasting, sometimes just interesting. Mm -hmm. But because of the length of the service and all the kind of description and you know, it's a real, it's like a marathon kind of going through one of these menus sometimes you walk away and you're really confused about what it is you've experienced and felt about it. You're like, I know I've tasted some really remarkable things and that's really sort of pushed my boundaries of understanding flavour and taste and what food is, but I'm not really sure I actually had a good time doing it, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, you'd rather take a course, you know, or... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like, because to me... Those, the, <clears throat> those experiences, they're about the chef. They're not about you. They're not about the customer. They're about, let me just show you. You know, it's the guy who sits down and says, okay, let me tell you a story. And you're like, oh, God, Jesus. <laughs> I want to shoot myself already. You know what I mean? As opposed to the guy who sits down and goes, where are you from? I'm from here. Oh yeah, I'm from there. Oh, I know a guy from blah blah blah. Then you have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Didn't you see the museum, the show with the thing? And you have a conversation, right? That's what a great restaurant is. It's conversation between the person who's cooking and the person who's eating. Otherwise, it's it's just the, the, you know that sort of high end stuff we're talking about. It's a monologue. Yeah. And you thought, oh God, I'm sorry. I thought I thought we were going into it. Those was a play. It's not. I didn't know it was a one man show. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I'm bored. Yeah, and I'm bored. The, this is about them.
1: Yeah, and this hap- this is happening in bars and in and cafes as well. like the top end, coffee shops too. We're seeing it a lot. Where it's strange. There's, on the one hand, it's good because there's a you know, the bartending barista has become a recognizable profession, and there are people learning and training and researching and trying to perfect the craft of creating cocktails. But on the other hand, that knowledge has sort of become a surrogate for normal hospitable conversation in a bar or a cafe. So instead of sort of chatting to you about how you are, how do you feel? What are you doing? Do you want a conversation with me? Are you okay? You know, what can I do to make your night better? Instead, I'm telling you about some kind of foraged, um, you know, crustacean that I've like joued down into a syrup that's going into your cocktail as if, you know, this is the most fascinating thing that's ever happened in the culinary world. Right. And it's not right, is it?
0: No, it isn't. I mean, if I want to know that stuff, I'll ask. Otherwise, give me the food. And then let me talk to whomever I'm with, you know, I don't, (laughs) you know, and then we can talk later if you want, you know, I guess, you know, but I'm hungry now. I, I, there's a restaurant in New York that I always loved going to. It was sort of a a fancier Italian restaurant. So this restaurant was so great because it's still, as far as I know, it's still there. It's called La Scali Nutella. And Scali Nutella meaning little staircase, right? So you went down this little staircase, On the Upper East Side, it was not, not inexpensive, okay, just, you know, it was a bit pricey, but amazing, like real proper Italian food, and they were from Capri, and you'd walk down and there'd be baskets overflowing with tomatoes and, you know, basil, and it was just like so beautiful, great wine list, amazing menu, And he, and then they would list specials and this list of specials would go on for like five minutes. And then at the end, he, the waiter would say, and if there's anything you want, we'll make it for you. That is, that's a restaurant to me. And they were so assured. They were so assured. Like they knew like exactly what they were doing. The waiters were so professional. And but funny and easy, and it was like that. It was like it was literally like the perfect restaurant.
1: It's unusual for a restaurant to be able to offer anything you kind of want. I mean, I guess it's within reason, you know, they're not gonna make literally anything, but
0: yeah, did he do they really mean that? (laughs) No, but but he made it seem like you know, you go like, well, could I have that with that? They'll go, yeah, 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 you can, no problem. Yeah, it wasn't like the chef won't do that, it wasn't like that. But you also knew that if you asked for something really stupid, that they wouldn't do it. Yeah. But it's one... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you had to know.
1: It, one of the, uh, one of the differences, I guess, between restaurants and bars is that in general restaurants have a menu and you, you kind of need to stick to that menu with perhaps slight alterations. Whereas bars for the most part and that there's, there's exceptions and it's a growing number of exceptions. You can't you, you know you can order off menu too um it's not just the 12 cocktails on this list right. you can have classic cocktails you can have just whiskey you can have a gin and tonic a highball whatever
0: yeah.
1: um, that is starting to change we have seen bars open um in the last five to ten years in london and elsewhere where they want more of that kind of restaurant um service style and it's like these are the these and and again it maybe it comes with that same sort of arrogance of the the sort of modern chef where it's like these are my dishes and you will enjoy them and i have spent hours painstakingly researching and devising them and to even modify them would be even if you've got a dietary requirement would be you know extremely offensive to me uh, so, but we're seeing it. We're seeing it filter over into Basel.
0: Yeah, that person shouldn't be in the service industry. I'm sorry. That's, again, no. that's about them. Yeah. So go have a private party somewhere yeah. and invite people and tell them that these are your restrictions. And then maybe they'll It's like fascist bartender. What is that?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's like that. Yeah, it is. It is. But I think it's wrapped up in um, this kind of package that, you know... It's sort of marketed as, and I think oftentimes even the, the instigators believe it, to be offering, a, you know, a, an amazing service, like an experience. A, you know, we're going to... We want everything about your experience here to be controlled by us so that you get the best possible product. And you know, if you if you tell yourself that enough times, then perhaps you start to believe that it is a way of offering great service. But I'm not sure it is really. <laughs> it's
0: not I'm sorry it's not <laughs> oh. is the customer always right? no, but you have to assess what that customer is asking for. If the customer is saying, Yeah, you know, uh, you know something really gross or just being rude or being whatever, no, they're not right, but if they say... You say, here are my cocktails made with scotch. And you go, okay. um, But you know what? I think I'm just going to have, why don't you just make me a scotch sour? And then they go, no, I'm not making a scotch sour because these are our cocktails made with scotch. Then you want to go like, well, you're in the wrong business. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you ask, I say, give me some scotch and you put some tomato sauce in it. Then you go like, no, I can't do that. That's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs)
1: but then maybe there's room for both types of venue right you know as long as we know what we're getting ourselves into wherever whenever we go somewhere and the the place we're going to hasn't you know marketed itself poorly or or, you know suggests it offers something that it doesn't then maybe there's room for both (laughs) if the majority of the venues out there Will cater to my taste and, you know, I'm not required to order off a highly regimented specific menu. But there are a few out there that where, you know, you're you're getting a very specific experience here. It's not, it's not, there's no deviation from this law. You will drink what we tell you to drink and hopefully you're going to enjoy it. And even if you don't, we'll still probably pat ourselves on the back.
0: Yeah right. Yeah right. Yeah
1: exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm interested to hear a little bit before we finish up about your 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 tour around Italy and the TV show. Um, What was sort of? I mean, there's there's so much there. I know. I mean, Italy's probably my favourite country in the world. It's certainly where I plan on retiring to at some point. I think it's paradise. And there's so there's so it's it's, there's so yeah there's so I'll I'll see you there probably. Um, There's so so many great. Regional kind of elements to it, and um, the food obviously is a major part, um, and the, and it's it's beautifully scenic as well. Lots, lots there, obviously. But what were some of the, the main things that you experienced or saw when you were doing the TV show that you just blew your mind, or things that you didn't expect?
0: Well, it, it, I think doing it, 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 it um, I'd never really done a documentary before, right? Or, or doc, something in a documentary-like format. I'd never really done that before, and it was really interesting. It was very eye-opening, and I've learned a huge amount. Um, I, it also confirmed what I believed, which is the reason I did the show, and, and I had the idea for the show like 15, 16 years ago, that, that Italy is indeed... An incredibly diverse country, and cannot fall under one, you know, sort of umbrella. You know, uh, description like everyone in Italy is pasta. You know, everyone yeah, in Italy sure, is yeah. really fun. Oh, it's always really sunny. You know, it's not. <laughs> it's not the case. It's a very complicated country yeah. for so many reasons, and the main reason is because of where it sits geographically. Uh, it was invaded, has been invaded for thousands of years by everybody. I mean, just look where it is. It's yeah. like it's sticking out there, an isn't it? It's easy place to get, you know. <laughs> it's just right there. It's so vulnerable. You know, it's so ridiculously vulnerable. You know, it's nothing but coast. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the thing that saves it is it's so mountainous. I mean, that was one of the things that, that, that really helped. People fight, you know, fight off invaders and so on and so forth. But, but it is the way it is because of all those invaders. Um, so when you travel, when you go from Sicily, and then you go up to Lombardy or Alto Adige or something, you know, it's like a totally different country. Yeah, you know, the way they yeah. talk is different, the way they eat is different. You know, it's and people don't don't realize that, and that was one of the things that I really wanted to show. Um, and I think we we've, we've succeeded because people are like, what is? That? How can you be in the mountains in the snow? And a lot of people don't even think that there's snow in Italy. Do you know what I mean? They think of it as this. Yeah, it's weird. So to me, it was really exciting.
1: And they speak German in some of these northern northern territories of Italy as well, right? It's German is Absolutely. the kind of spoken language up there. Yeah. Absolutely. I've been to Sardinia quite a few times, and that's like a different country again. You know, I mean, it's this. It feels kind of North African as much as it does Italian. You know, there's bits of it that are pretty barren, um, and you know, they're they're right out there on their own. And I think there's like twenty different languages just on that island, yeah. as well as Catalan. You know, Spanish. Yeah, there right? are.
0: I found I found Sardinia maybe the most interesting of all of the regions hmm. because for the reasons you just described.
1: That's interesting you say that. I I um. I mean, it's, a, it's it's not a competition. Although, of course, one of the reasons that Italy has that diverse food culture is because it was warring states and therefore was a competition and everyone has their own little ways of doing things. But Sardinia, for right. me, is mm-hmm. the best food I've had in Italy. I, I think it's unreal. Um, some of the uh, agriturismo there and everything is just amazing.
0: Yeah, I agree. We were all like, we all just fell in love with it. And it was... Hmm consistently probably the best food we had and, and some of the most interesting.
1: Yeah. So look, we've agreed on a lot
0: here. Nutmeg, yeah, I know. Sardinia. I know. <laughs> but the, the thing is too that I loved about Sardinia is like it was like you were going back in time, you know, not like, oh, they don't have the internet or, you know, why are those cars so old? It wasn't that. It was like the way they lived their lives was very different than the rest of the day. It was like 30 years ago, it was like things were slower, Th- things just seemed, I, it sounds funny, but they almost seem more Italian.
1: Yeah. Well as I understand it, it's where a lot of Italians go on holiday to, and certainly when I've been there, with an Italian family yes. who, who live there, yes. or have a second home there, it's, oh, yeah. you, you, don't, you don't see any Brits there, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty much Italians there on holiday. Um, no, you don't. Yeah. But um, yeah. I must get back there.
0: Yeah, it's it's like, kind of, a, yeah, I guess there's that there's this sort of, the Costa Esmeralda, I don't think I've ever been there, have I, I don't know, which is the sort of fancier part, yeah. where a lot of tourists go. Yeah, I've I've been... But I guess they are, you're right, a lot of them are Italian tourists, aren't they?
1: Yeah, I, I tend to be down the southeast, Costa Re. Um I've been there a couple of times. But anyway, we're now just boring people with okay. uh, talking about our holidays. Um, so, Geography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, any bar experiences that you've had anywhere in the world, anything that you've seen in recent times that, you know, we've talked a lot about hospitality, the importance of that, and we've talked about how important drinks are. But if there's any, any bars that deserve a shout out that you've been to, bars, restaurants, uh, hotel bars, even, or uh, any, anything like that?
0: Oh, God. Well, there's so many. Well, we know the Connor, right, with Argo. Which the corner, is like, yeah. You know, when you die and go to heaven. That's there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I really am, I really do love, well, one of the things that surprised me when I moved to England, you know, in America, it's like you walk into a bar and you go, I'll have a martini. And they go, all right. Now, maybe the guy knows how to make a martini. Maybe he doesn't, but he knows what a martini is, right? <laughs> when I walked, first started coming here, I walked into a pub and I was like, can I have a martini? Yeah. And the guy looked at me yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, he goes, You mean the, the, like this? And he holds up the bottle of martini, For you this. know, vermouth or whatever. And I go, No, 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 like a martini, you know. And he was just looked at me like, God, why did you walk into this place, you know? And I was like, Fine, just give me i I'll yeah. have a beer, you know? And, and I realized that's just not part of the culture at all. Um, yeah. And I always thought that was so, you can say it your mean, whiskey, they, they give you whiskey, you know, but they can't make anything with it.
1: Yeah. But it does kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier when I was saying, you know, specific venues for specific experiences and a pub, you know, I tell you what, most of the best pubs I know, I wouldn't want them to make me a martini. No, uh, I, don't. Pr- I'm pretty sure they would butcher it. But what I would like them to do is pour me an almost flat pint of warm ale uh, and yeah. I will happily drink that, yeah you know. And because yeah, they're specialists that. in that field, yeah, yeah. I'll be loving it. <laughs>
0: yeah, once you know that, now I know it. Now I wouldn't dare ask for yeah. a martini, you know. Now I walk in and I, go, yeah, yeah. I'll have a Guinness or I'll have a this or I'll have a that, you know, whatever, you know. Then, then yeah. we know what the rules are now.
1: Yeah, we do. We do. Stanley, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I've really, really enjoyed the conversation. It's been a lot of fun. No,
0: me too. It's been a pleasure. It's been really nice. It seems that we get along so well, we'll have to have dinner. I'll, I'll take you up
1: on that offer at some point. And, and if hopefully dinner will involve more than a Cornish pasty, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. but we can do that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, do enjoy your, enjoy your evening at the Connell as well and say hello to Ago from me. I
0: will, of course. Th- thank you, Justin. Thank you so much.
1: Wow, what a guy. I really hope you found that entertaining and insightful. Don't forget to share the episode with anyone who you think will find it interesting. And if you haven't already, make sure you become a Diageo Bar Academy member. It's free. Head over to diageobaracademy.com for the latest industry news, events and inspiration. And subscribe to get it
0: emailed to you.